Each month, the Security Ledger podcast informs and entertains an audience of thousands of technology and information security professionals. If that sounds like an audience your company is trying to reach, consider sponsoring one of our podcasts. We offer per-episode sponsorships of our weekly podcasts, which feature news, analysis, and discussion of the most important cybersecurity topics of the day. Or you can commission a custom podcast to highlight your executives, researchers, and subject matter experts. To learn more, point your web browser to securityledger.com slash sponsor. Welcome to the Security Ledger Podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this episode of the podcast, number 190, we're thinking about compliance and governance. We're focused on establishing positive control and integrity of the system. And because we now have applications and operations that allow us to quickly spin up and spin down systems, we can make different decisions about how to handle a breach or a loss of trust than we would otherwise. Information security is shifting left, moving closer to the development process and becoming part and parcel of agile DevOps organizations. But while building security into development may be a familiar idea, what does it mean to build compliance into development? To find out, we invited Galen Emery, the lead compliance and security architect at Chef Software, into the Security Ledger Studios to talk about the job of blending both security and compliance into agile development processes. Chef started out as a configuration management tool. Galen and I talk about the company's increasing investments in security testing and compliance and how the shift left that goes along with DevSecOps is impacting other security investments, including access control, auditing, and more. To start out, I asked Alan to tell us a bit about Chef and how the company's technology has evolved from configuration management into areas like security testing and compliance, as well as endpoint protection. Uh, I'm Galen Emery. I'm the lead compliance and security architect for Chef Software. Galen, welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. Thanks. Happy to be here. For people who are not familiar with Chef, uh, Tell us a little bit about the company and the work that you do there. I work for Chef Software, been with Chef for about six, six and a half years now. And Chef is really born out of that kind of DevOps, uh, even pre-DevOps infrastructure as code space, right? We're solving configuration management problems, particularly for uh, development focused operations teams, right? So SREs, all that kind of stuff. And what we found as we were solving those problems is that there's actually a, a security testing and compliance testing need as well. So we built InSpec as a way to test infrastructure against the set of rules that we follow from a hardening and compliance and security perspective. And that's really what we're focused on right now and today is really getting forward into the infosec space and really helping the infosec teams achieve. As you people are, you know, people were talking about DevSecOps, right? We can have the argument about DevOps versus DevSecOps, but functionally, how do we help the InfoSec and compliance and security teams solve their problems within the structure? And, and InSpec is just one. Uh, it, so Chef has a number of different offerings. InSpec is one of them. What are the other offerings that you guys have? Yeah, so we obviously have Chef Core, Chef Infra. It's what we're known for. If you're thinking about Chef Software and you've heard of us, you've, you're familiar with the infrastructure product, which is just how do I make a change to a system uh, itself to, to be convergent? Uh, desired state configuration management is the basic structure of that. Uh, we already talked about Chef Inspect. Chef Inspect is, is a compliance and security testing language that allows you to interrogate a system for system state. We also have Chef Habitat as another core uh, tool, which allows us to package applications in a secure 
portable manner, regardless of what the desired runtime is. And then on top of these things, what we've built are a couple of solution-specific offerings. Chef Desktop focused on endpoint management and endpoint protection and, and management of, of services and applications on it. But really, one of the things that I focus on most is our Chef Compliance offering. And Chef Compliance is focused on taking the core pieces of the security testing and security hardening and packaging it together along with content, particularly the CIS content from the Center for Internet Security, which is the baseline that most organizations follow for their security hardening. So we take that content, we package it up, and we give it to the customers in a, a repeatable manner that allows them to easily toggle on or off the settings that they particularly care about. So give me an example of the types of assessments, compliance assessments that you might offer to a, to an organization that was deploying on, on your platform. Yeah, so what we focus on right now is the hard controls. And by hard control, I mean looking at a particular set of system states. So I expect that Telnet is not installed, or I expect that the suitor's file has these permissions or has these users in it, or on Windows, the security policy minimum password length is set to 12 or more characters, right? There are these assertions that we care about from a security hardening perspective, a security best practice perspective that we need to ensure across our entire fleet of systems. And it's not just limited to operating systems. We focus on applications and on cloud APIs and a number of other pieces as well, containerization as well. But the basic structure is to say, hey, look, I need to assert that I know what the current state of the system is from a security perspective at any point in time. So we run continuously against the fleet and give that information back to the customers in a dashboard so they can make decisions on what to do with it. Talk about who Chef's users and, and customers are. Who's using this technology? Most of the Fortune 500 uh, uses us in, in some fashion or, or another. Um, we're really well deployed out there. And what we're finding is that the teams that use us the most uh, most effectively are the ones who are really focused on uh, things like continuous delivery, things like GitOps, really focused on uh, quick time to market, quick time to value transactions within their, their their structure. And what they found is that because they're often highly regulated, either PCI or HIPAA or in the federal space, um, when we don't have compliance and security built into the process, we run into the issue that when we go to go to production, when we go to deploy to production, we run into the issue where there is a long lag as security tries to go through the systems, figure out what happens. And if we're trying to push changes multiple times a day, it's just, it's untenable, right? It's, it's not a, a process we can follow uh, for continuous delivery. So really focused on integrating that process in, into the security and operations workflow. So broadly, companies that are doing software development and are development driven, but of course, these days, that that's pretty much everybody. You know, you, you think about the kind of mind-blowing statistics about how many, you know, software developers, you know, Morgan Stanley employees and, and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's every company, really. These yeah. And, and to add to that, I mean, we, we had a great talk at one of our conferences a couple of years ago from Varesh Sita, who at the time was the CTO of Alaska Airlines, who showed up and said, we're not an airline company, we're a software company with wings, right? Recognizing that the interaction of Wells Fargo and Goldman Sachs and Alaska Airlines and Twitter and everybody is through the software to their customer, right? The software is the interaction point they have, so therefore they have to be a software company at some level to maintain that competitive advantage over their competitors in the space. Yeah. The technology press talks about the the shift left and the and the the migration of security from a bolted on protections around network perimeters or or maybe applications to functionality capabilities that are much more tightly integrated with with the development process itself and and in fact where developers really are responsible for security in a way that that they weren't, you know, 15 years ago, right? Or maybe they're responsible for 
not having buggy code, but but security was a was a separate you know discipline and function. Can you talk about that? Like, what, what does that look like practically, and and what types of you know activities and and capabilities does that now require of development organizations? Yeah, I think you hit it perfectly at the start of that. You mentioned that security kind of gets bolted on to this process, and that's one of the things we're really focused on is saying, look we have to teach security teams how to operate in an agile fashion, right? We've taught operations teams, that's a lot of the piece of, op, of DevOps. Um, uh, uh, application teams have known agile and lean and all that kind of stuff for, for a while, but if we want security to move their product into a way that they can manage inside of a sprint, we have to help them with that process. We have to give them tooling and resources and culture that allows for them to understand and work within that structure. You can't have a security team that's used to updating the security policies once a year, then go deal with two-week sprints. And so as we're focusing on this shift left, we're really trying to say, hey, I think there's two things we're trying to say. Hey, is one, the, the process of existing security review is broken. We have to fix it. We're not finding issues uh, before they get to production anyway. We already know that most customers, when they're breached, are breached through known vulnerabilities. It takes them months or longer to find them. Um, and they still take two, two months to audit the process, right? So what we have today doesn't work. We know it doesn't work. And so we have to bring it into the process. We know that secure application delivery, your continuous delivery, fast response, uh, resilience in your applications is the way, is the best way we have to go forward. And so really focus on getting security into that process. One of the things that I think is really interesting that we're finding as we get into this security left as part of the pipeline process, we can start really rethinking the access control lists and the structure of our perimeter, right? One of the things you mentioned is, you know, we have all this all remote work right now in, in 2020. The perimeter shifted dramatically. We can no longer quite assume the same uh, reliance upon the edge as we used to when we had everybody inside the building. So we really have to focus on how do we validate that the action or the user in question is doing its 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 appropriate thing. And so you see things like zero trust and beyond corp to to deal with the you know authentication side and authorization and you know is the system you know healthy enough to to talk to the the sensitive resources. But I think one of the other things that we see with this is that truly effective teams make their changes through GitOps, right? They make their changes through the pipeline. It is the source of truth for the state of a system. If the pipeline is the only thing that can update production, either through deploying to an artifact store, you know, however you kind of want to deploy out to production. But if that's the only way to get to production, including we could remove SSH and WinRM and, and remote access to production, we can then establish a full chain of custody all the way back to source code. When we establish that process, I think we get to a really interesting situation where the core access control components, we used to think about, okay, how do I secure that the only people in, with production access are the ones who are supposed to have production access and how do I audit that and manage that and do all that process? It's very common, uh, both governance requirements and just kind of security hardening requirement. Well, if the only way to access it is through Git and Git has two person rule in place, I can set those rules right there once and only once and I can just modify that as we go through. I, I like to think of it as like a tunnel, right? If I create the pipeline as the tunnel is the only way to get over to the other side to production, then we have a really clean way to manage all those access requirements in a single spot, which A, really drops our load of managing all that stuff in production, and B, uh, gives us again that, that full chain of custody and, and secure audit trail all the way back to the source code for what changes happened, when, who approved them, and where they got applied. That sounds powerful. It kind of envisions a, a, a new kind of security role. What are the security roles in this new paradigm? Does everybody wear the security hat? Um, or are there key people who influence this, this process uh, during the product lifecycle? 
Yeah, I think I think we're not the, at no point do we become generalists, right? Everybody still has a, a role to function, uh, a, a, an aptitude towards a particular set of the problem. Uh, at the same time, you know, developers and app and operations folks need to have basic security principles in place, right? You don't hard code secrets, you know, um, you know, uh, using secure methods, you know, uh, all those kinds of things that are that are imperative to uh, you know secure application delivery. I think one of the things that's interesting in the in this structure shift is that security was always reactive, right? We're talking about securing endpoints and and, and intrusion detection and firewalls and all these things. It's really focused sure. on making sure that if something happens, I can respond quickly, I can limit the breach, and I can do that. Mm-hmm. And that's still really critical. I think we live in the, the the world of the zero days. Obviously, Twitter and Garmin both had issues this last two weeks, right? Sure. Like every week, there's somebody new to to, to work with. And so what we're really focused on, what I think that's interesting is that when we're thinking about compliance and governance, we're focused on establishing positive control and integrity of the system. And because we now have applications and operations that allow us to quickly spin up and spin down systems, we can make different decisions about how to handle a breach or a loss of trust than we would otherwise. One of the things we see people do is that if a system fails a compliance check in production, we just black hole that system. Let the auto scaling group figure out that the system's gone and bring us a new one, right? We can make decisions that are way different about how we handle potential issues because we have the ability to rapidly respond and even automatically respond to the threat as it happens in real time. I mean, I've been in the cybersecurity space for a number of years, and and at a high level, you're seeing just you know a lot of uh, incumbent vendors they, in in information security who kind of grew up defending you know, traditional perimeterized network environments and. You've certainly seen many of them evolve to have offerings that are deployable in the cloud. So if the cloud is obviously the future, are there functions that just disappear? And for the functions that survive, let's say SIM is one of them, what do they look like? We'll see what happens overall, but I think a good example of some of the things that have shifted in the cloud space is think about the operations folks who were your hands in the data center. And if you have your own data center, think about who you might have as security for the data center, right? If you go to the cloud, then the shared responsibility model puts that all on Amazon or on Microsoft or Google. And the hot hands in the data center, that's not an operations engineer focus anymore, right? That's just somebody who understands what a blinking light looks like. Um, and so... So a lot of that low level, just kind of, you know, validation of the, the basic structure or the things that are, you know, very procedural, I think it does drop. I think I think a lot of that really does uh, change materially in, in how we approach it. Uh, however, the folks who have expertise in what makes a secure system, what the model looks like, where the threat vectors are, what are the ways in which we could be attacked, that value doesn't go away because, again, we're going to continue to make new applications. Um, I think my favorite example of the most secure application, I think, is Kelsey Hightower has a no-code repository, and it's literally just empty, right? That's the only secure application in, in the entire world is is no-code. And so as long as we continue to do business and continue to build these applications, we're going to have things to think about in terms of the security posture, in terms of the threat vectors. You know, There's obviously going to be injection attacks and, and all sorts of other uh, ways that people get into the system. So... I really think that that's the structure is, hey, let's go focus on the threats. Let's go focus on um, making sure that we're, we're uh, appropriately managing those threats, that we, we understand the risks, we understand the mitigations if we don't, if we don't have a true uh, resolution for it. But this basic structure of like, I need someone sitting at the front of the, the front door of the data center to let people in based on an access control list, that's automated, right? 
like you've automated that whole process by moving yourself to the cloud. So those are the kinds of shifts we're going to see there. It's really interesting. I was reading a blog post you did on the SIGRED DNS vulnerability and, and developing kind of this, you've developed this little module that will basically go out and test for it and so on. I mean, it just strikes me that, you know, as, as if you were a, a college student coming up and interested in information security, increasingly that is a development focused discipline and profession, right? I mean, it seems unimaginable to me that in 10 years that there's going to be much daylight between people who are doing application development and people who are security focused as part of development teams. Yeah, I think we, we see that already, right? Your security architects that are leading kind of DevSecOps and, and moving into the space are very clearly folks who understand the code to some level, right? And I think there's there's a, a broad range of, of expertise here, right? There's a lot of folks who focus on application security testing, around injection attacks, around, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then there's the operations side of the house, which is more like, yo, is Telnet on? Because if Telnet's on, I have a known exploit for Telnet. So I'm just going to go, you know, go get you that way, right? Um, and so, you know, and like the red team groups are already pretty code savvy and, and code literate, right? They understand how to look at the, the system and, and see what they get back to decide how to exploit it. Um, one of the things I think we do need to do a better job of is, is reducing the code requirements for people to look at and understand the document, right? I think if we're talking about a chief security officer or an external auditor, they really care about the governance side of the house. They really care to say, hey, look, I need to be following PCI rules and I'm following PCI rules because this is what gets me compliance and this allows me to, to, to do this and be safe. And there's a translation layer between a PCI rule that says you must have, uh, nobody can have access greater than necessary to do their job function, right? That's a very common rule in, inside, the, inside the world or like all communication must be over encrypted protocols, okay? Well, that's a uh, simple enough function to, to understand at a high level, but how is that actually implemented? We need to marry those two pieces to say, hey, look, all encrypted communication means that Telnet can't be on the box. We can't be using Telnet. Or if we're using uh, HTTP, it's going to be HTTPS over you know, 443 and SSL, right? So those are the kinds of things that, that people can, can focus on in terms of security best practices and, and unhardening and, and validation of that. And there's no real reason that you need to have a deep comp sci background to be effective in that, right? Really focus on the security model, understand where you're coming from, understand What's this application used for? Is it talking to things externally? Is this internal, right? Do I have an assumption of trust? If I do have an assumption of trust, is that broken when the user is remote sitting at their home Wi-Fi and their kid can get on their laptop and potentially go to a website and get a worm on their laptop, right? Those are the kinds of, of trust decisions we're going to need to make. And I think that's the key focus of DevSecOps and, and, and Zero Trust and, and Beyond Corp is to say, you know what? The user is not a trustable component either because their credentials could get stolen, there could be a virus that gets on their box, there could be sure. any sort of ways in which yeah. the Fish, credentials, right. yeah, exactly, the credentials in question are no longer valid as a source of trust. So I need to make a different trust decision about how to determine access to certain pieces. And one of the things we see a lot of in, in PCI and, and HIPAA is that we really, really need to scope back the access to production environments. I think Twitter is clearly going to go through a thing here. There's an article as part of it was that said that up to a thousand people had unilateral access to manage people's accounts, like well, and and high value accounts, not high just, value. You know, yeah. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so you're talking about 
how hard would it be to put in a two-person control model there, right? To say, hey, if you've got a call coming in, you need to get somebody else to, to sign off that they validated the person, they validated the information before you can make a change to the account. It's not a complex problem. But again, we can't trust a single user to do the job. Sure. There was also a really interesting, I don't know if you read it, but a really interesting blog post, kind of post-mortem that a, that a Maersk employee did of you know the NotPetya um, outbreak within that company, you know, person who had left the company so they could kind of speak freely. And that's basically what they were sort of saying too. Like, you know, on the one hand, you know, super sophisticated company, you know, wealthy company, you know, definitely investing in IT and IT security, and yet, you know, really lacks, you know, access and authentication practices, you know, the sort of lingering sense that security is a cost center and, and you know, not, not where we should be putting all our money. And, you know, maybe a lack of appreciation for, you know, how bad things can get in an environment where, you know, you don't have, you know, proper access controls and, and proper security controls in place or where you've been sloppy about patching or what have you. So it, it, on the one hand, you know, large sophisticated companies that get it. On the other hand, people are people and large organizations are just large groups of people who are, you know, making many of the same kind of mistakes that, they've always made. <laughs> but when it comes to like, you know, estimating risk. Yeah, I think I think you hit it perfectly. And I haven't read that particular Marisk article, but I have read the, the big wired story on it. And it's a super fascinating problem. I mean, just to reiterate, right, you end up getting your your Active Directory back up because you have one server offline in somewhere in Africa and you have <laughs> hard drives. Yeah. yeah, there's there's some some craziness to, to, to that story that exists in terms of a, I think you, you hit it perfectly. You don't quite understand how bad it can get. You also, I think a lot of organizations, a lot of small organizations in particular fall into the trap of, they don't target me. It's not, they're not looking for me. And yeah. they don't yeah. recognize that the, these viruses, the, the DNS vulnerability one, there was a configuration management provider a couple of weeks ago who also had a big zero day. Those get weaponized and hit randomly against IP addresses within 72 hours, right? It's not a target anymore. It's just a, I'm going to cause destruction or I'm going to, you know, you know, if ransomware in particular is I'm going to come into you, figure out who you are, and then I'm going to charge you money, right? Um, you know, I'm sure Garmin got asked for $10 million because they're Garmin, right? You know, you get that in a Tesla or an Apple or somewhere, it's going to be a lot bigger of a number. You yeah, know? put a couple zeros on it. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. So I think I think you hit it uh, quite perfectly that, that, that a lot of these people fall in the trap. And that you talk about these authentication and authorization pieces. And I think this is a lot of, uh, this is definitely a big piece of the problem is that the the rule in the organization doesn't match the actuality right i'm sure maersk had a rule that said that you know these are the people who have access to things and blah 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 and all those kinds of those pieces i'm sure that exists in their security plan and it wasn't true in 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 the world and i think this is where we get into compliance as code and governance as code is what we want to say is the document that is binding is the code we actually run because if, if it doesn't work there, then we know that something is wrong. Either we need to make a change to the plan. We need to say, hey, you know what? We are going to allow you to have that service running. We are going to allow you to run the older version of Java or Tomcat or whatever. But we're going to add these compensating controls or we're going to do some other things around it. right? We really need to make sure that every stack, every piece of the puzzle has an understanding of what its actual view is supposed to be. And that's really where we get into governance as code and compliance as code to say, this document, this code, is the source of truth. And if you have a problem with it, then you got to go take it up with the folks in the security team who manage this document and say, hey, I as an application owner need to have this exception. Here are the reasons. And so those are the kinds of things we want to build into these processes is to say, look, again, and this is part of the security team uh, 
structure change is that the security team has to be able to react to that request in a timely manner. We can't have a three-month lag for somebody to say, hey, I need to change the security policy because that security policy is currently a failing test in my pipeline, right? And if we do it that way and we institute and say, the governance policy is test in your application pipeline, you don't get to go to production unless you pass the test. Well, A, if we pass the test, then great. We know we're secure from a hardening perspective. We've identified and validated that automatically as part of the pipeline. We don't need to do that anymore. And B, if we if we fail it, then we can go have a conversation, but we can have a conversation well before the code gets to production. We don't have any missed window for systems being insecure, and we can really kind of go forward from there. So if uh, some of our listeners are, are kind of interested in what you're saying, uh, Galen, want to kind of learn more, maybe they're security pros, but but want to really get up to speed on DevSecOps and shift left and, you know, uh, you know, code is security as code, com, you know, uh, compliance as code or governance as code. What are some resources or some places they can go to, uh, to get familiar with this stuff to kind of bring themselves up to speed? Yeah. So the best place is chef.io uh, slash compliance. A uh, number of great resources there, but in particular, I think if we're talking about, um, security and, and security operations and DevSecOps. There's a Gartner report uh, where we're really focused on uh, uh, by Gartner as a, as a leading provider in the in the set of um, security and compliance testing. So really focus on that. I think the other pieces to look at are um, understanding the benefits that things like GitOps gets you as a security team from your security model, uh, a speed of remediation, and all those kinds of uh, pieces that we can we can leverage to make the decision around security and compliance hardening, not just a risk decision, but also a clear understanding of, hey, this is how we help the business move faster. And if I can make a, a better security policy with a faster application delivery, then it's no longer just a cost center structure when I'm talking to management. I can say, look, we're gonna make more money and we're gonna be more secure. That's usually a pretty big win uh, in the eyes of the executives. And um, give us a sense what's what's coming up, um, you know, in the next year from from Chef. I know you just had a had a number of you know kind of product announcements and so on, but but uh, but what's what's bubbling over there in the uh, Chef kitchen? Yeah, so right now in, <laughs> in the sorry, Chef kitchen, couldn't resist no, that really. <laughs> I, I you know it's, I'm surprised it took us this long to get to one actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, so in the Chef kitchen right now, we're really focused on uh, building out that compliance story. We're really trying to make sure that the structure and process of it is is simple, easy to use, and that we're providing uh, actionable insights to everybody uh, under the hood. So not just the DevOps teams who, who actually might write the policies or write the infrastructure, but also the compliance and security teams who need to look at it to, to audit it. Um, we've got a number of customers today going through external audits with our tooling as the evidence under the hood. Uh, and that's a really powerful uh, use case and story we're trying to build upon. I think we're also really focused on secure application delivery. Uh, Chef Habitat does a really good job of application management. And I think that's the other piece that we're going to see a lot of from us in the, in the next six months to a year. Who are some of the companies that you're partnering with? I know you just had like a virtual event. You had some of the, some of the companies who are your uh, ecosystem partners. But um, give, give us a sense of who, who Chef works with. Yeah, so we've got a number of great partners. I think one of the most recent ones we've really announced a number of things with is uh, ShuttleOps. They're doing a really key uh, application delivery structure uh, based upon uh, Chef Habitat. Um, they're doing a lot of great things there. You know, we, we obviously partnered with Microsoft, AWS, the big players. I think the other one in the security space we've started talking to a lot and been really interested in our partnership with is a new company, uh, heard of it just a few, two months ago, called Achilles. 
and they have a really interesting distributed secrets management solution, uh, particularly focused on making sure that your core kind of private key, your kind of trust zero key, uh, mm -hmm. can never be combined. And hmm. that potentially gives so us a really- So they're called keyless as in keyless entry? Yeah, a keyless. So a okay. and then keyless uh, oh. is, is who they are. And uh, we, they've got some really great interactions already with our products. They have a really good uh, vault integration for the Chef Info product. Uh, and we're working with them on some other pieces as well. But they they seem to have some really interesting uh, kit there. And uh, they've been really great to work with. Thank you so much for coming on Security Ledger. It's great to talk to you and to hear from Chef. We'll do it again. Absolutely. Anytime. Galen Emery is the lead compliance and security architect at Chef Software.